over a unique one. I'm Chris Manning from Lockdown Cavaliers, and joining me on the other line is Jeff Floyd from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Jeff, what's going on? Uh, not too much, actually. Uh, it's actually funny. Uh, just guys, the way this came to pass was just exchanging a couple of DMs, and it's you know the the craziness of what it's like right now covering both of these franchises. Uh, you know, for me, I even feel like we're on a little bit of an upswing. Obviously, you know the record doesn't show it, and you just threw your head coach and your offensive coordinator out. Uh, you know. Maybe we have a structure here finally with the Browns organization, whereas uh, obviously you know Chris is dealing with everything in the LeBron aftermath and where everything is over there. So we thought it'd be fun to just sit down, get together, and you know what? Since we podcast anyway, we might as well record it. Yeah, and I, these are two teams that are linked by their ineptness. The Browns obviously I think are on a much uh, more positive trajectory right now, at least it would seem. Uh, you're on, you have the makings of something where they, they seem to be establishing a culture where the Cavs say they have one, but probably don't actually have one. So, Jeff, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you tell me where you want to start. Do you want to start talking about how the how the what the Brown situation is sort of like and and what you're sort of expecting out of it, or do you want to start with with where the Cavs are at and just sort of what that how the how that reflects on their organization where where would you like to start with this well i'll go with it here uh, you know we'll, we'll pitch it to you here for the Cavs. and um chris what was it like last year though obviously you know, nba finals appearance i mean yeah i mean everybody in the world you know knew that you know lebron had his set eyes set on la and i mean it was just going to pull the plug out of everything again. I don't think this time anyone should feel nearly as bad as the first time it happened. I mean, he did come back. There will always be that banner there because of him. But, I mean, you were covering this finals and in the back of your head going, well, wow, whenever this is over, this is over. And, oh, my God, where do we go from here? So uh, last year I always had the vibe, and some of this does just come from it being a LeBron team because those things are sort of inherently chaotic. I always felt as if that they were going to be in a position where – they were kind of always just dealing with something like that the that there was drama going on that there was a lot of concern about what was going on that that it was sort of a house of cards and then my theory really was with this team that when you looked at what they did last, look at the changes from where they were last year to where they were this year you take lebron out of it and he's obviously the best player on the team the the fun, the best player of the franchise ever seen maybe the best player ever uh, set the culture, set set the expectations for organization. You pull that guy out of there, and you try to sort of put it. You put in a young point guard. Uh, you you make Kevin Love the face of things. You don't really do a ton else because you don't have the flexibility to do a bunch else. And you're like, okay, we're still gonna compete. Obviously, maybe not at the same level, but we're gonna try and win. Doesn't work. <laughs> I think I think like what you what I have learned uh, from these first eleven games that the Cavs are one and ten. They have the the league's worst record. They have already fired their head coach, who won them a title, who um, was kind of sparring with the organization. There's, there's been no shortage of drama with the team this year. I think LeBron was covering up a lot of holes, and he could not cover up all of them. But he covered up a lot of them, and he made up for a lot of the mistakes that they were making anyway. Uh, and that, and that, I think when you take that, like they, they came into the summer talking about like wanting to have this Cavs culture, and like that they had this Cavs culture. I don't think they actually ever had one. I think LeBron was their culture, and I think right now you are seeing what happens where an organization has to build its own culture, and it's an organization that going back to when LeBron from when LeBron left never actually built one. And I think I think that's really what you're seeing here. I think pretty much everything you can see that is mostly most everything that has gone wrong with the Cavs. I, obviously, you can talk, look at decisions that were made that were wrong and whatever different. I think the the biggest linking problem for this Cavs franchise that they have to figure out if they're ever going to be competent again is actually like establishing a culture that 
gets them somewhere because they just don't have it and they've never had it. Well, I think part of the thing, though, in the way I've always viewed it is is what essentially helped in, is the fact that LeBron was one of your own. So it wasn't just, you know, here was this guy, you know, he got the opportunity to bring in this franchise talent. The franchise talent was right from the backyard. So automatically right there, that created the culture. And granted, you know, he was a he was a beast of a player. Obviously, you know, I, I went to see him here in New Jersey play in high school in Trenton. My buddy was over the time, like, we were like, wait a minute, LeBron's playing in Trenton tonight? Or let's go check this out. Like, that's how le- legit he was. But now here it was for you guys. It was just like, all right, you step him up onto the team. And th- that was it. I mean, he was the city player at the time. And now he became the city, the, the franchise his player and you know within a very short time he was probably the best that franchise had ever seen i don't think that's uh yeah it's no question i mean i think from day one i think the the, the he became the face of everything i think from the first day he put on a Cavs jersey uh he was the face and i think if you go back and you read you know the reporting from brian windhorst and you read the reporting from david Meneman and everyone that has covered this team and covered lebron when lebron left like their plan was like we need to get him back at some point um this is I mean, I to, to be very blunt about it, this is an ownership group. This is a franchise that has never been competent without LeBron. My biggest question this year for this team, like, what can they actually be competent without LeBron James? Can they do something positive without LeBron James and take a step forward without LeBron James? And the answer as far has been a resounding no. And, of course, this is not, like, their whole story based on what has just happened so far. But it's not a good start. And if you were like, maybe some of this was they were selling something that wasn't actually there. I think that's certainly part of that in terms of them being able to compete this year. But it's not a good look when like you basically just look so, so incompetent again the moment that that guy goes. It doesn't reflect well on, I think, what you have built with aside from him and your just general competence without him. It, and, and if I were someone looking at this franchise and thinking, do I want to come coach here? Do I want to? Uh, work in that front office. Do I want to sign this as a free agent? Would I be through if I'm an agent? Do I want my my star rookie to go through the next draft? I think there's reasons to be skeptical of that because you just don't know what kind of team you're really getting in bed with right now. That you just don't know what kind of situation you're going to get into right now. Frankly, now um, obviously now with you know with the news that came out this week, Brown wise, where basically the Haslam's have you know they finally agreed that hey maybe football people know football a little bit better than they do, and now. And we kind of had a feeling it was going to go this way because if the Haslam's were finally going to be okay with Hugh Jackson being asked to leave, you kind of had a feeling that, hey, they also had to admit some defeat here that maybe, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. And now that they've signed off on John Dorsey, you know, being the lead as far as the next head coach, where is the structure plan in the in the other building, Chris? What, what's going on there? I mean, you know, and we talked about this. Is there a plan? And because if you don't have a plan, you're basically, I mean, you're just treading water and that's the way you're going to continue. I don't know. I mean, I think their plan now is to just like hope Colin Sexton's really good. Hope Jetty Osmond's really good. And then I think the plan has to be, you have to get a top pick, right? Like just like the Browns, I think Dorsey's plan really, it starts with Baker Mayfield. It starts with getting Denzel Ward. You get two cornerstone players at two cornerstone positions. For the Cavs, you're hoping that Colin Sexton's very good and Jetty's very good and fits the modern NBA. Um, I, you know, we, the contracts with Kevin Love are is maybe tradable and it, it, that's like a whole thing that we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. But like their plan, I think now has to be, we're going to get RJ Barrett. We're going to take Zion Williams and they're going to get someone made probably from Duke at the top of that draft <laughs> next year that can be their next franchise guy. Um, I mean, it, like if you go back to what they did when LeBron left last time, it was getting Kyrie 
it was getting Tristan Thompson. Uh, those guys, Tristan's talking about the fund, laying that foundation again. Now he's really kind of been the vocal guy with, with Kevin out right now. And they kind of did, they did well ish there. Um, Dion didn't work out. Obviously Wiggins got you love Bennett didn't work out, but you got Kyrie, uh, you got Tristan. Those are two really good players kind of botched the Kyrie relationship. So you have to kind of redo that process, but also hit on more stuff. You have to hope that, um, you know, you can hit some second round picks and develop guys more than you have. Billy Preston is this kid that they got from, from after he played like six games at Kansas because he had an NCAA violation. He's completely raw, but he's got the physical potential to be like uh, a good NBA player. It's like sort of like a Desmond Harrison thing where it's like, you're taking a gamble on this guy that has the tools, but isn't there yet. And they're going to bring him along slowly. Um, that's to me where you're at. You have to hit, start hitting on all of these things. You just don't know if you can yet. And it's re I think really there at square one of this, this is something where I don't know if they can be realistically good again until they get past like the, the Kevin love contract. Like it wouldn't shock me if it's another four years or so until this team is somewhat respectable again because i just don't see another way i don't think they can rush this they need to be patient and they need to get in kind of do like what the sixers do with brett brown in there and you know maybe someone that's not sam hinky but bring it along slowly do it correctly and build it actually from the ground up instead of trying to force it and bank on lebron kind of saving you like they did last time yeah uh, guys you've been listening here we were doing a locked on calves locked on browns crossover edition uh, guys, Chris Manning, um, for my Browns listeners, if you were not following Locked On Cavaliers, Chris does a fantastic job over there. Uh, make sure you got it in your rotation. And uh, it, like we talked about before we hit the record button, it, it takes a lot to have to waddle through bad times. Everybody loves to talk about any team. Look, I mean, whether you're a Patriots guy or something of that nature, yeah, it's great to you know chalk up going through. All right, yeah, these shows are going to go great because everything's everything's great. Um, but when you got to go the uh, you know. The Finding Dory approach of uh, just keep swimming, just keep swimming does make it a little difficult. But go ahead and make sure you're following Chris and the Locked On Cavs show, guys. Now, Chris, um, maybe we'll take things, obviously, across the street here. Now, and this is one of the, the things that you brought up. And, like, as far as to put the basketball equation of what Baker Mayfield means is um, Jason Kidd was one of my favorite players ever. He got traded to the New Jersey Nets. And me and my buddies at the time, we were all in the younger 20s, you know, we're always looking for things to do. And it was like, guys, we got to start going to Nets games. And some of my buddies were like nuts. But Jason Kidd came in and made every player in the building better. And that's what you equate with like Baker Mayfield. He came in and made everybody better. And even the defensive players, what it became was is the stakes are raised now. We've got a guy here. We've got a dude. Look, there's going to be 20 points on that scoreboard at the end of the game. So what do we got to do? We got to make sure that whatever 20-something points he puts up is enough to get it done. So when you can get that guy, and I, record, I recorded a draft show earlier today, and I had one of the guys on who covers the NFL draft. I was like, look, we're just going to skip right on by. We're not even going to mention the position quarterback. But when you've got that piece, and look, you know, I'm not going to equate him to LeBron. Uh, of course not. But when you've got that piece and you know where the figurehead is, it's a lot easier to work down from there if you're ever chasing the guy, that that's I mean you just you spin in your tires, you're stuck in the mud, and it's just the way you're going to be. And even still, with you know uh, with uh, you know with the record being that it is, and there's only two wins to show for it. Um, in almost every game, you've seen effort through the final 60 minutes and the final gun. It, it shows that you've got a culture change, and hopefully, finally for this Browns organization, you're finally trending upward as opposed to just you know finding ways to go from 1-15 in 15, then to 0-16, which is, I mean, it's just laughable. 
So I, I have a question about this. So when you look at this year, you look at obviously every like starting with what we saw in Hard Knocks and then seeing how the Hughes situation played out and seeing how the Todd Haley situation played out. You fire those two guys. You have uh, Greg Williams, who um, I the, when I when I remembered, that, I was like, isn't that the guy who like got suspended for Bounty Gate? Like, yep. is now coaching? Like, this is all wild. Obviously, I think there's a lot of faith in John Dorsey. But when you look at everything else that's in there, like, do you think it was like weird that they, what they did was bring back the guys that were part of that incompetence? Obviously, you brought in Baker, you brought in all these guys, you brought in some adults into the building. Jarvis Landry, for all of the the limitations he may have as a player, like that dude seems to make like really have a positive culture impact in a way that maybe matters more in the NFL than the NBA. From from sort of what I gleaned from covering the NBA and talking about the NFL. Like, was it weird to, like, bring back guys that were clearly not going to or bring in a guy with Haley that has that kind of combative reputation? Do you think that was, like, a waste of time to some degree to kind of go down that path at all? I think what it was, and I think what, it, you know, John Dorsey came in, and this is kind of where I got the feel of it is, is once the trading window was open, obviously, you know, they traded for Tyrod Taylor. They traded for Jarvis Landry. They traded for Demarius Randall. And basically what that stuff kind of told me was is John Dorsey said, look, Having all the cap space in the world is fantastic. Having all this draft, you know, comp- all these draft picks that we have is fantastic. But we're still nobody. We are still a nobody. So I think, I think the Haslam's wanted Hugh around to give him a, maybe a bit of a bit of a better shot with a better roster. But I also think, but the trades, what what it told me, of John Dorsey is, is this place isn't pretty enough yet. We've got to trade for guys because any free agents aren't coming here. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins was available. They had all the money in the world. They would have given him that contract. <laughs> he wouldn't. He wasn't taking the phone call. So I think John Dorsey's approach was, well, sure, you can stay. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think we're ready yet. And the other thing is, is if we're going to hire a head coach, we're not going to be going A-list options. So even if we say, if we, even if we tell him, look, we're going to take Baker Mayfield at one. That's our guy. That's who we have faith in. Do you want the job? There were still too many deficiencies. There was still too big of a stink from 1-31 in 31 that anybody who you would have wanted to be head coach of this team wasn't going to take the job. Now that you've gotten to see some of the on-field product and you know you got to see a tie against Pittsburgh and you've gotten to see almost every game where these guys, the players have fought to the end. Even last week against Kansas City, you were down to your fourth, fifth, and sixth cornerbacks. You were down to your third, fourth, and fifth linebackers. You know, these guys competed to the end. Yes, you lost by, at the, at the end of the day, you lost by two touchdowns to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs are really stinking good. This is what they're doing week in, week out. But what you saw is that these guys believe in each other. And I think where it all fell apart for Hugh, and it wasn't the Tampa game, I think it was more the Charger game. And, you know, talking to some guys, you know, who covered the beat and who were in the building that day, and, you know, there where they were, and they watched Miles Garrett fly out the door. They watched Jabril Peppers fly out the door, and a couple others. And I think that's just where it was, it, for the on the player standpoint, was it was like, okay, look, this is the guy who was 1-31. in 31. Yes, we had a, a little run here, and it looked pretty good. But, you know, it, I think it got to the point where the talent on the roster far exceeded what Hugh Jackson could do as a coach. And Todd Haley, the issue there was... And, I said it from Jump Street. Todd Haley came here and said, you want to know what? I'm going to go there because there's a good chance I could be head coach of the Cleveland Browns, maybe by October. And I think Todd Haley came here with those thoughts, and Todd Haley did his thing. And look, Todd Haley, he's he's a good offensive mind, but he's a difficult guy to deal with, and he doesn't always listen to what he's told to do. And But 
and and for those and I get guys all this time. Well, you know, Hugh Jackson wanted to take the offense back. Well, he already went one in thirty-one, and I think part of that issue was is John Dorsey was well. You're not going to get to play with my toys. Um, you've already run over a Deshaun Kaiser. You've run over everybody else, and every time there was an issue, you found a way to politely back the truck up on over him. And John Dorsey was not going to let that happen to the talent that he brought into the building. So, all right, we're going to move on from Hugh. And I think Todd Haley came walking in and said, okay, well, here's what I got planned. And it was, you want to know what? You weren't right either, so you can go too. And because Freddie Kitchens, and we kind of j- joked on some of these podcasts, we didn't even know the guy's name. We were calling him Todd before there was the, th- the theory of he was going to move up the food chain. But he came out with a good, solid game plan last week. And one of the things he emphasized was is we sat down with each positional group and talked with each guy and thought about and asked them what they thought they did best. And by doing that, they were able to put up, an, you know, offensively they put up a decent product on Sunday against the Chiefs. And that's just what you, where you're going to go from here. Greg Williams, the thing with Greg Williams and why he's still around is there's nothing else Greg Williams can do in the NFL. Nobody is going to hire him to be their head coach. There is no shot in hell he will keep this head coaching gig. Um, with the Bounty Gate scandal and everything that went down, he'll never be a head coach anywhere. Defensive coordinator, I think there's maybe eight to nine teams in the NFL that would let him be their defensive coordinator. The other 20-something or so franchises, they're not letting him in the door just because of what has gone on in the past. I think they like him. I think they like him with the unit they have on defense. And there's a possibility if you go out and you get some young, hotshot coach or an offensive-minded guy only, and they say, look, we like Greg. We we think Greg will stay out of your way. He'll do his thing on defense. Are you interested? But look, if you get an A-lister coach who says, look, I ain't coaching with Greg Williams, yeah, Greg's going to go too. But I think they like him in the role that he has and there is a possibility of a future here if it works out. Um, you know, it's all going to depend on who the guy is, and you know, if he's got a if he's got his own guy, and it's going to be make or break. Then yeah, it'll break Greg Williams. So you are listening to a Locked On Cavs, Locked On Browns crossover, and Locked On Cavs listeners, if you are not checking out Locked On Browns, you need to. This is the podcast that every Sunday, first right after the game, you're going to get a great breakdown of what's going on with the Browns from Jeff. Uh, During the week, you're going to get some analytical analysis. You're going to get all the takes you need. You're going to get insight into everything going on with the Browns and give you an insight, a daily insight into the team that you're not going to get on any other podcast. So go on iTunes, score wherever you're listening to your podcast, subscribe to Locked on Browns, leave that five-star rating interview too, give Jeff that support, and make sure you're checking out that podcast because it's a great way to keep on track with the Browns, just like you keep on track with the Cavs with me on Locked on Cavs, you with Locked on Browns. You're covered, and you might get a little bit depressed by the end of listening to both of them, but you're going to at least be knowledgeable about, about, the, about the Browns as well as the Cavs. So please check out Locked on Browns, hosted by Jeff Floyd. So, Jeff, my 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 question that I, I that I think about a lot when I compare these two situations is John Dorsey to me is the guy is like the the thing that the Brown the Cavs don't have that like that that type of guy. He seems like he it, at the very least. Um, he's, he was successful in Kansas City. I don't know exactly why he was fired. Maybe you can explain that, but or why he's not there anymore. You can explain that. But he has a track record of hiring guy of drafting guys. Well, we'll see how he does with this head coaching hire. But they have this guy that sets a tone for that whole organization, and that's in the face of a meddlesome owner in, in the Haslam's. With the Cavs, you have Kobe Altman, who I I think is very smart. I I I think he um, toes a different line than David Griffin. I don't think we know what he really is as a GM yet. 
we don't even know if Dan Gilbert's never re, re, uh, re-signed a GM anyway. So like, that's just a whole other question. We do not know who sets the tone for the Cavs building right now. Something I talked about earlier. But with Dorsey, like if you're thinking about the Browns being good in the next couple of years, while Baker's on this rookie contract, while they have, they have the flexibility that they maybe don't have if he ends up being really, really good and you have to pay him a lot of money, just having Dorsey to set that tone, I think, give you more confidence in evaluating where this team is going to be in a positive way in like three, four years. Well, this is now, this will be the biggest difference when we're talking, obviously, the NFL as opposed to talking about the NBA. Um, the NFL, what is going to make you as a front office guy and going to make you as your run with your team is how you handle your drafts. Obviously, you know, the NBA, it's rare. Maybe you get three to four picks, you know, uh, the NFL. And if you're a bad team, you know, you're moving on assets. Or, I mean, like they did with Brock Osweiler, you know, people laughed at it. They bought a second round pick for $15 million. Well, you, that pick is Nick Chubb. I mean, that was a Saucy Brown move, obviously, but... That's you paid fifteen million dollars of nobody was going to come play for you for that money, so you had to. And now that player is Nick Chubb. This is going to be your franchise running back for the next four or five seasons, and he's damn good. So, but you, the draft is so much where you're going to win, and this is where John Dorsey is really good with it. And he t- he'll take a lot of heat for you know he'll he'll draft players that and look there's like uh, you know Antonio Callaway was one. I, I wouldn't touch the guy with a ten foot pole. But you look, he drafted a guy like Tyreek Hill. With all the heat Tyreek Hill had on him as a person, you know, John Dorsey will get to the point of whether or not, if this kid gets in a position where he's got money, he's successful, and he's not dealing with anything else, is he going to toe the line, and is he going to be a good football player? And to, to this point, he's hit on these guys, and it, and it works for him, and he, he, will hold back, he won't back away from... A guy that some others may, and it, you know, if he gets into a room with him, gets to meet with him, and if he's going to trust him, he'll gamble on him. And if that works out for you, that's going to make or break you. Because look, you don't get a lot of success in the fifth and sixth rounds. I mean, the NBA draft used to be a lot, lot longer. Why is it not anymore? Because it was pointless to do it. There just wasn't enough. Now, but when you talk about a 53-man roster, you've got to do this. And the reason why John Dorsey was a key hire here is because even though you have cap space. You can't guarantee that these guys. The the NBA it's a little bit different, you know, because because the NBA has that term max contract. There's these guys who want to say and they want it written. They got the max contract. The NFL look, these guys get drafted in. It's four to five years, and I mean, so much is is predicated on health, whether or not you get to that second contract. But you've got to you've got to pretty yourself up through the draft and hit on your needs. So that way, when you have the money and there is a guy available, now uh, NFL wise, uh, you know, if J- uh, J- uh, Jadavian Clowney hits free agency this year, they don't really need him because maybe more of the interior defensive line is what they need. But if he's got interest to come here and you've got the cap space, by all means, you jump in, and it, that's going to be based on how how nice you have made things look. You know, with a quarterback, with running backs, with t- tight ends. With wide receivers, you know, with uh, you know, a monster player at Miles Garrett in the defensive line and Larry Ogunjobi, a solid player in Jannard Avery in the linebacking core. You've got Denzel Ward, who is a going to be a foundational piece there. And once you start hitting on these guys, and people can kind of look around each positional group and say, player, player, couple players, player, player, couple players. Now this is where you can start to spend some of the free agent money. 
So you know, what Sashi did was good in the plan of, look, give me 100 picks and we'll see what shakes out. Whereas John Dorsey says, I only need eight or nine because we're, my guys and my crew, we're going to do our homework and we're going to make sure we hit on almost every one of them. And that's where you get a Jannard Avery who you drafted in the fifth round. Guy's a pass rusher. He's a full-time linebacker. Damian Ratley has contributed as a six-round pick as a wide receiver. If you've got to hit on these picks, and if you're going to base a guy like John Dorsey off of that, so far, he's looked really good to Marius Randall, the trade for Deshaun Kaiser. He moved on from a quarterback who was already crippled here in Cleveland by his head coach. You got your starting free safety who's looked fantastic. Tyrod Taylor, you needed a team player starting quarterback, whether it was going to be long-term, short-term. Guys love Tyrod. It, 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 sadly, it, it, you know his you know, run here is going to be short, but Tyrod Taylor's a good dude. Jarvis Landry shows up week in, week out, gives you every drip of work ethic. The only mistake they made there was thinking that maybe he's wide receiver one of the A.J. Green, Odell, Beckham, Julio Jones, which he's not. But, you know, a guy who can give you seven to nine receptions per week, anywhere between 70 to 95 yards, solid in what he does. And that's how you're going to continue to keep this thing growing. And, well, obviously, and Jarvis is also a very positive locker room influence. You know, loves the game, loves being around the guys. He's he's more excited when somebody else scores a touchdown than usually the guy who scores it himself. So, But those are the guys you need to bring in. And John Dorsey is really good at measuring cleaning, basically cleaning through the cobwebs and finding out what type of guy somebody really is, and he brings those people in. It's the thing that I think, it's, it's, it's a, you're right, it's a, different, it's a different comparison, but it seems like Dorsey's the guy that like gives you stability in that front office to do it. Like, and, and, and in a situation where the Browns have to hire a head coach, um, I think kind of the last thing we need to touch on is like both these teams fired their head coach in the middle of the season. Different points in their seasons, different points in accomplishment levels for Tyrell New and Hugh Jackson. Different, very different ways of the exit. Ty hasn't said a word aside from a one statement, and Hugh obviously gave two very interesting interviews to to two different outlets uh, to kind of which he counteracted uh, each other. <laughs> yeah, Hugh, Hugh's, Hugh is just a, a work of art, like just chef's kiss for for what he does. Um, I will not miss thinking about Hugh Jackson, but. Like with with this head coaching hire, I think for the Cavs, they do not need to. I, and for the Cavs, I think you want to find a, find a guy that's about development, that is about culture. I think that's the same thing. It's got to be, yep. Yeah, for for the Browns, is it the same thing, or do you just like just give me the guy that's like Marshawn McVay, or like would Bruce Arians be fine? Like, what what do you what what is the most valuable characteristic in terms of the setup the organization has that you think it would would be the most optimal for that group? Well, the thing is, though, is you have John Dorsey, obviously, and he has his crew from Green Bay, and now Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith here. So you have the Green Bay influences. You also have now Kansas City Chief influences with John Dorsey being here. For me, what I would be looking for, and like you said, development. Look, you can fill in a staff, and John Dorsey can do that. He's got the connections with Highsmith and Wolf. The guy for me that I keep coming back to is Eric Bieniemy? He is the now offense coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Eric Bieniemy is a football lifer. He is the uh, he handles the running backs every year at the NFL Combine. These guys spend less than forty eight hours with him. They fall in love with him. He's just got energy. And I was able I uh, had one of the Chiefs uh, official reporters on for the uh, my pregame show last week. And I you know I asked him about Eric Bieniemy. Look, I I remember watching Eric Bieniemy play in college. I remember watching him playing pros. And he said he's like it's so. He's so fun to see 
because it used to be Eric Bieniemy, the running back coach, where he'd sit around all day, you know, kicking, you know, Kareem Hunt in the butt, and you know, basically, you know, jokingly ripping him. You know, meanwhile, Kareem Hunt tore up the NFL last year as a rookie. Now he gets to do it with everybody on offense. So Andy Reid just sits down and looks to the left, to the right in practices, and says, "All right, that's working. You know what? This plays out. This plays in." And meanwhile, Eric Bieniemy's the one doing the relationship stuff. And uh, look, you got to do this a little bit better. All right, I know you're always open on this play. I'll t- well, we'll try to work it in. And he balances them all. But the other thing is, is now you know, at 45 or 46, Eric Bieniemy, these guys, young kids, flock to him. And this is where Hugh missed the boat. Eric Bieniemy can go sit down and have a conversation with a Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield. He can have lunch with them and joke with them and still get his point across and say, "Hey, look." You two aren't doing enough if you're going to lead this team. Eric Bieniemy is the type of guy that can pull that off. You can build a rest of a staff from there. You want to keep Greg Williams because he knows what he's doing as a defensive coordinator. The track record proves it. That's fine. You can find an offensive coordinator to come to call plays. Everyone gets so caught up in that with the calling the plays, the calling the plays. It's not about that. It's about somebody to go in there and that everybody who puts on a uniform says, that's our leader. Whatever he says goes, all right, this is the guy calling the plays. That's the guy calling special teams. That's the guy in charge of the defense, and everything runs through him. You need that type of guy, and it's not so, and look, the Sean McVay, that's fantastic, and if there's a Sean McVay store, uh, you know, everybody would run down and go do it, and, but look, you know, at the time, everyone said, wow, this is a pretty good hire for the Rams. I don't think anybody said, oh, wow, the Rams are going to be in the Super Bowl in two years. I don't remember anybody saying that. Um, so, but it's just worked out, and obviously it was a great match with Jared Goff. Find the guy who works with, you know, a Baker Mayfield. You know, everybody, oh, well, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. Yeah, they have a great relationship. Yeah, they're tight. But when you're two friends and your professional careers, where you're looking at making over $100 million, become intertwined, that can cause a lot of strain. And if something goes wrong, and it's going to affect one guy's career, whether it's you know whether it's Baker, whether it would be Lincoln Riley, it becomes a lot different. And you know the friendship when there's a hundred million dollars involved a piece may not be as strong as some people want to make it out to be. I think that's fair, and I think with like the Browns, it's it's sort of the same thing to some degree. Like I think about Brett Brown and how the guys in Philly seem to love him. I think about Kenny Atkinson, who's developed um, a real devotion to him. Like Brad Stevens is the same thing in Boston. Those guys love him. I think yep. you want a coach that the players love. Like, I think you want a coach that the, gets the guys to buy in. And, like, right now, like, I, I think one of the reasons, like, the Cavs are not completely, like, the, the it, it's not quite, it's really bad. That's it, not sugarcoat that. But, like, the fact that the, one of the reasons it's not quite as out of control as it could be is because I think, like, the, everyone there kind of respects Larry Drew. Like, I think they have, they respect him as a basketball lifer, as a guy who has their backs. They're going to be honest with them. He's not going to bag them in the media to some degree. Like, he's just not going to throw anyone under the bus in that way. He's going to stick up for his guys. And, look, he was even, like, Colin Sexton. He stuck up for Colin Sexton on on on, third, on uh, Wednesday uh, after there's the report out there that, like, the veterans, you know, weren't happy with how he's playing. And he was like, not nah, like, you, you can't do that. You can't, like, say that about this guy. Like, you need to support this young guy in your in your locker room. Um, I think like having a guy like that, even if I don't think he'll be the coach next year, but I think in this transition, I don't think that's the worst guy to have in there. And I think at least like I have concerns about the organizational structure, all these things. But I think that guy being in there is at least one positive aspect of it. I have no idea if any of these guys are that good, if they're going to figure this out at all. It's way too early to know. But at least you have that guy in there to make this process a bit less insane than it could be. 
Well, and that's the thing, though. I mean, because so bringing a guy who could at least keep things positive and keep things rolling, and then look when the season's over, then you can kind of say, all right, then you can start selling yourself. Well, look, we've got pick one, and this is, or we got pick three, and you know, and this is what we have. It, it's, I mean, to to make the change when they made it, obviously, look, and and for Tyron Lue, for for the run he had. Does he? Did he want to be around for this? No, he didn't want to be around for this. So you got to find somebody that can just trust to, you know, get you through. Let's say, what'd you say, eleven games? Get you through the next seventy-one, and you know, and, and, and you know, hopefully you find you know a couple of diamonds in the rough or guys who are a little bit better than you thought you were, or the guys who are going to need to be moved on from the veterans who are not happy playing losing basketball because it's going to happen, and that's just kind of the way it goes. Look, and that's one of the biggest misceptions people have with this is. Oh, well, he's getting his money. Well, these guys understand there's the opportunity to get their money and play winning sports. And that's ideally what almost all of these athletes are looking for anyway. So you find out what's good, what's sticking, what's going to have to go, and where you can go from there. I mean, but there's no way, I mean, you could sell this Cavs head coaching job to anybody worth a salt right now. Oh, no, not at all. Um, I, I think that's like the one, I think like you theoretically could, but it, it goes back to the Dorsey thing. It's like, he could because he's John Dorsey because he has these connections. He probably can do that. He could probably sell someone that might be hesitant to take the job. Or like let's just let's just say hypothetical. Let's just say like Lincoln Riley is like I want to go to the NFL. Like maybe just like the and like that maybe it's like between the Cowboys and and the Browns to some degree or something, right? Like maybe just like Dorsey's presence and like the fact that you sort of know he's a guy that is going to do right by you and try to do the right things to win and will have your back and like is this the stable guy helps you? I, the Cavs just. I'd be scared. I mean, look at the Chauncey Billups thing last year. Like they probably they worked out that they didn't hire Chauncey Billups, in my opinion. But like, look at how hesitant a guy that has known Dan Gilbert for so long was to take that job. That <laughs> says a lot. That's that says a lot to me. Well, of course. But the thing though is, is you know, like, uh, yeah, I know you. I kind of appreciate you, but I don't. You know, it's like the prison thing. I think if I turn my back, you'd shiv me in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. No. It's 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 rough. <laughs> It is. It, it's funny because uh, I remember now uh, David Locke obviously runs a lot on network and it was June and David's like, Jeff, uh, you're not really getting out the amount of shows a week we normally get. And I was like, uh, David, I don't think anybody's really cared right now. I mean, it's kind of a dead period. Let's get to, you know, let's get this NBA season over with and we'll get back to work or whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, because everybody was wrapped in and look, I mean, obviously it was a, a very, very difficult task to win that NBA finals appearance, but it was more about what was going to happened inevitably when you did lose the finals because it was all going to go downhill no absolutely i mean i think that that for me like i i i was very sure that it was going to get it it was always going to get bleak i think before it was going to get better i think there was no way around it there's no way around that if you're i think uh organization that hits a peak there's just going to be a down period and it's how you navigate that down period that um i i think separates the really good organizations from from the ones that aren't quite as good Exactly, and it's got to start up top, and it's got to start with a plan. And look, I mean, sometimes there's going to be a little luck involved. You know, you know, you get a player that maybe nobody thought nothing of, and he turns out to be something pretty special. And until you can get the right mix, you know, from top to middle to bottom, it's you know, it's it's a very tough process. And look, I mean, that is why if you follow any sport that it is, there is so major, there's so much upheaval. From, you know, whether it's GMs and whether it's, you know, managers, coaches, whatever, and players, 
you're just constantly looking for that right mix. And look, I mean, sometimes you may make a move and it comes back to bite you in the ass because it was the right mix, but you did it anyway. There's just so many ways about going with roster building with a franchise and you know your front office and everything clicking. I mean, it's it, it's a gamble, and sometimes it's almost like buying a Mega Millions ticket. Hundred percent agree. I'm gonna let's wrap it up on just I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you one question and then you ask me one question. Just one, just throw a crazy question out there. Give a quick answer. So my question for you: If you were organizing the Browns right now, what is who, what position? If you're gonna look at the draft next year, should they be targeting with that topic? Regardless of where it is in the top ten, what should be the position that like will have the most value for this group? The, well, there's two ways to go with this. The biggest need for this offense right now is the left tackle position. You cannot have your franchise quarterback in place and say, oh, well, we kind of liked what maybe Desmond Harrison can do. And then Greg Robinson played one week and played light years from what you saw you know, of you know, Desmond Harrison up until that point. So you have to at- attack that left tackle position. That being said, the way the draft may play out, it's you need one more defensive lineman because the de- defensive line is one more great player away from being nickname worthy selling t-shirts you know the uh, you know the the Pittsburgh Steelers the Philadelphia Eagles D-line back in the day you're one more defensive tackle away from having a unit that says it really doesn't matter what's behind it cuz these guys are going to trash most plays before they even start so you know the biggest need is left tackle I say you get one more defensive lineman. You're talking about a, a, a lights-out defense that can play four quarters and you can actually substitute some people. Greg Williams, it won't kill you to give these guys a breather right now. And look, the games are kind of out of hand. The season's out of hand anyway. So get these guys some rest before somebody ends up having to spend their uh, offseason rehabbing as opposed to honing their craft more to this point. Um, I, okay, so now the question for you... What what do you where do you in your basketball mind, Chris? Where's the best way to build around? I mean, because is it you know it seems a lot of teams now you're looking for that three. I mean, because you know the point guards, unless it's a you know a Steph Curry who can drop thirty five to forty five to sixty at any night without blinking an eye. How are you building this team? Is it you know do, do you build through a wing? Uh, you know that we're starting to see a little bit more of the big man coming a little bit back. Is it essential who the guy is and what position he plays? Or, I mean, do you just need to go find your guy who can give you your 25-7-5 type of effort each in, each night, night in and night out? I think the, the if I were the Cavs, I would be trying to build a very modern team with shooting with, with a lot of wing play. So if I'm them, I'm, I mean, maybe they love Zion. Um, that's possible. But if I were them, I would be really, really into R.J. Barrett. Um, I think that's the guy that just has the the floor. Nazir Little could be another guy as well. From the, He's from UNC. Yep. Someone from that Tobacco Road area could be someone that, that can make a lot of sense for them. I think for them... You need to get a guy. You need to like get that guy, and you. But it's it's you need to get that traditional guy and that foundational guy. But you need the the guys to support him. You're not gonna win in this league, especially the way teams are being built right now, by just getting the one guy. So I think it has to be getting a guy that is also gonna help Sexton develop, getting a guy that's gonna help Osman develop, get a guy that's probably gonna be your next lottery pick a year from now, develop whoever that guy is. I don't even know anyone that's in the twenty twenty draft because I just don't think that far ahead about about college or youth. But I just don't have the capacity to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's way too much. I don't know how like NFL draft people that like, go like three years out. You're y'all are y'all are y'all are crazy to me. Um, with I think you need to just get a guy that is going to be maybe your best player. It could be your one chance to get a top three caliber player. 
you need to hit that pick, and he has to make your other guys better. Um, because I think that that's you have to have a guy that's going to elevate your group and not just be empty calories. And you need a coach that is going to bring that out of that guy. That it's a it's a lockstep thing. Um, and I'm I think their next coaching hire is going to be kind of a fascinating kind of role in all this. And what what they sort of look at will be will tell us a lot about I think what kind of player they might draft. I'm also just sure they're going to pick Zion Williamson if they get number one. And it's gonna it could it's either going to go really really well or really really bad. I just that just feels like a very Cavs thing to do. Yeah, well, I think Zion would be the popular pick. I mean, I can just see from, you know, even, you know, just my Browns followers. I mean, everybody was all over that the other night. And just, you know, the energy he brings and the fact that he can run down the floor and dunk and he'll play some defense. And you saw some passing. And, I mean, I know where the early comparisons are at, but just stop with that, guys. It's it, it, To compare anybody to a LeBron James is just not fair. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Uh, guys, this has been Chris Manning, host of Locked On Cavaliers. This has been Jeff Lloyd here, your host of Locked On Browns, guys. Um, it was nice to talk a little shop here, uh, you know, about what we deal with as, as far as covering these teams. But one thing you guys got to understand is uh, we do this for you guys. And uh, the appreciation and everything you guys give back to us and everybody who subscribes, downloads, listens to the shows and all the feedback, that's the good part here. Whether the times are good or bad, knowing that everybody's enjoying you know, the work we're putting out and the content we're consistently putting out and doing this as a daily show. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of podcasts are done where it is you know, one show a week. And yeah, that's fine. And you know, I'm not you know tanking on anybody for that. But to consistently put together four or five, six shows a week, where you got to come up with solid material, and you've got to you know you've got to make sure with, with what you're talking about comes with a lot of conviction, takes a lot of work. I know I, I know I'm trying my best to do that. I know Chris does his best to do that. But we do appreciate everybody for that, guys. iTunes ratings, reviews for Locked On Cavs, Locked On Browns, guys. We absolutely appreciate it. Could have said better. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Have yourselves a great night, everybody. Uh, maybe we'll try to do these a little more often. Uh, hopefully the times will get a little bit better here for me and Chris. We won't have to vent so much. Everybody, have yourselves a great night.